Yeah, this morning we're continuing in our study in Ephesians. Uh, we're getting to an interesting point in Paul's letter. We indicated kind of at chapter 4, we have um, Paul kind of changing a bit of his tone. He's moving from one, um, one, way of, one way of teaching. He's talking a lot about who God is, and he's shifting more into talking about how all of this teaching is going to play out in our lives. You know, that got me thinking to um, my first job out of high school, kind of after Julie and I got married, we, we spent a year in Scotland doing some ministry, and we came back from that, and I, I needed a job. And some of you know I am a ticketed carpenter, and that journey started off for me in a very interesting way, because I, I can very clearly remember my first day at work. Uh, I, I started in carpentry doing renovations, and I got to this house, and it was this a family friend of ours who was really doing me a favor. He was saying, I'll, I'll, you know, come along and we'll see how you do. And so him and I are working on this bathroom renovation. We're taking some things apart. And um, he says to me, okay, Adam, can you go out to the truck and get some drywall for me? And I looked at him and I said, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, I got this. You know, I'm eager. But I'm like, but what's drywall? You know, <laughs> and you just see the horror on his face, right? He's like, oh my goodness. Like, who is this guy? Um, but this man walked with me for several months, and then I went from there, and um, Jelena and I moved to Calgary, and I continued working in carpentry. I started building houses and um, doing all these different things to the point where at the end of my training, you know, I could build a house from the, from the ground up. I could, I could tear out a kitchen and put in a new one. I could drywall, mud, and tape. But four or five years before that, I didn't know what drywall was. But it's interesting you think about that, that information that I learned, the truth that was being taught to me about construction, it changed me. It took me from being this uh, bumbling mess of a, a young man who didn't know what drywall was to being someone who was quite competent in those areas, who understood the intricacies of construction. Who I was as a person changed because of that. And that's just the truth with information. The more that we learn, the more that we grow. As we learn things, as we apply the things that we're learning to our lives, we see change begin to happen in our lives. And that's such an important thing. And I think about that in relationship to my walk with God. You know, every Sunday we gather together in worship. Uh, we, we get to hear God's word preached. We sit and we receive that. We take in this new information. But I wonder how often we don't allow that information to change our lives. I wonder how often we can come to church and listen to what Ken is saying or Norb or myself and be like, oh, what a great sermon. Let's, let's go eat brunch, you know, and maybe we don't think about it the rest of the week. But that's not the purpose of this truth being taught. Truth is supposed to change us. Truth is supposed to, to hit our ears, go down to our hearts and, and do a work in our lives that, that we're not the same person over time. The more that we are exposed to truth, the more that we learn. You know, Paul has been establishing an amazing foundation in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, he goes on and on about all the things that God has done for us. All the things God has done for us. And just a really neat point with chapter 1. Paul doesn't once mention anything that we have to do. Nothing that we have to do. He just goes on and on about what God has done. He ends that chapter with this beautiful prayer and he transitions into chapter 2 where he continues to talk about what God has done in relation to who we are. That we were people who were living separated from God. We were living in sin, but, but God came and worked grace 
And he goes on to talk about the peace that God worked between man and God. Where there was hostility between man and God. Jesus came and the work that Jesus did brought peace between us and God. He continues unpacking this in chapter 3, talking about how this is a mystery and how profound this is. And we get to chapter 4 and he again just keeps going. He starts talking about the church, the body of Christ, the importance of the church in our development. And maybe you could read all of this, and you could sit down and read that in probably 10 minutes. And you might be reading this and go, okay, well, now what? So what? God's done a lot. You know, God saved me. He's done this work in my life. But what is this supposed to mean to me? Well, I think that in chapter 4, verse 17, we get a transition to the immediate playing out of what we have learned. This passage is the beginning of Paul laying out for us the so what. He's beginning to lay out all the practical implications of what it means to walk with God. You think of our theme deeper that we've been covering in this study. You could look at chapters 1 to 3 and say that we've gone deeper in our understanding of who God is. We've gone deeper in our understanding of who we are in relation to Him. But as we continue on in Ephesians, you could say now we're going to go deeper um, in our walks with God. The practical playing out. The time that we spend in our homes with our families. What does it mean to walk with God in the context of our families? What does it mean to walk with God in the context of our workplaces? That's, this is where Paul is going. But before he gets into all of that, he, he makes this statement in verse, in verse 17. And he, he kind of starts into this line of thinking. But what we see here in this passage that Paul is getting at here is that God's truth should keep making us new. God's truth should keep making us new. That as we learn more about God, as we experience the playing out of God's promises in our lives, as we interact with God's character, as we understand Him more, as we read our Bibles, as we share with one another different testimonies of what God is doing, the works of grace that God is doing in our lives, all of these things should make us new. In the way that me learning more about carpentry made me a better carpenter, a, a new carpenter in so many senses. In the same way, the more we learn about God, it should be continually doing a work in our hearts, making us new. So let's unpack this idea as we look at this text. And the first thing that Paul points out to us is that truth should lead us to a new walk. Truth should lead us to a new walk. And this is what he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now Paul starts off here in verse 17 with a bold instruction. And it's interesting, again, if you sat down and read through Ephesians from Ephesians chapter 1 to, to where we are today, you'll notice that Paul actually doesn't give a lot of instruction. He's doing a lot of teaching. He's teaching about God. He's teaching about humanity. But when he gets to different places, there are a few things he commands us in. In, in chapter 2, verse 11, Paul commands them, the Ephesians, to remember. He commands them to remember that they were once Gentiles. When we keep reading, we get to another command in chapter 3, verse 13, where Paul commands them not to lose heart over Paul's situation and his suffering. We keep reading, we get to chapter 4, we read a command from Paul. Paul commands us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which we've been called. And then again we get here to verse 17, where Paul again is making a command. 
that we're to not to walk as the Gentiles do. But this is something we need to pay attention to. Because again, Paul's been teaching. He hasn't been giving a lot of instruction. But all of a sudden, he, he makes this really bold claim. He makes a really bold statement. And he's not just saying it kind of, you know, oh yeah, by the way, you should do this. But no, he's saying that I say this in the Lord, I testify in the Lord. He's saying, with the authority I have in Christ, I say this to you. I instruct you to do this. And what is it he instructs them in? You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You know, if we read in the NIV or the NLT, which was read for us this morning, it translates that word walk as live. You must no longer live as the way, in the way of the Gentiles. Um, but the ESV and some other translations are staying true to the Greek, where the verb is to walk. And when we think of this word walk, you know, we know that it is a metaphor. It's a metaphor that we don't necessarily have to explain too much. But what Paul is asking us to do today is consider the way we walk. Consider the way that we walk. And now that doesn't mean, hey, you know, look at your feet and make sure you're not limping. You know, are you running? Are you walking? Are you crawling? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the essence of how we live our lives. Which way are you walking? Is that something that you consider? Is that something that you've ever thought about? What is the way in which I am walking? Now I want you to imagine I, I've given you a blank piece of paper. This is my attempt at illustrating this metaphor, so bear with me. Let's say I gave you a piece of paper, and this is our piece of paper up on the screen. And I said to you um, that I would, you know, could you draw me a map? I'd really like for you to draw me a map. Um, the first thing we'd have to determine is the destination. Where are we going? So we might put a destination on the board. Now the next thing we need to figure out if you're going to draw me a map is where we are. So we need to figure that out. After we figured out where we're going and where we are, we need to consider everything that's in between, all the different possible um, places we could go. And so we see here there's a forest, we could go golfing, we might go swimming, there's some drafts we could check out. Now based on your experience of from where we are to where you're telling me I need to go, you're going to give me a route. You're going to say, hey, you know, I, I encourage you to go, you're going to drive past this beautiful water, and then you're going to check out some drafts, and, and then I want you to hit this city, go play some golf, and eventually you're going to make it to where you need to go. Now I might look at this map and say, well, hold on a second, there's a whole lot easier way for me to get there, right? There's this obvious route where I could just go from A to B. But what's interesting with something like this is that you're telling me that there's a certain way you want me to go. And that way that you want me to go is based on maybe your experiences or your values. You might say, you know, I, I had a great time swimming in this water. You've really got to stop on your way there and check this out. You know, you might be saying that there's a restaurant in that city that you have to go see. You know, you might say that, you know, there's some friends of mine that you should go visit and they live by the mountains. And so your understanding of this path and everything that's in between is going to dictate the way in which you instruct me to walk. You know, our walk in our day-to-day -day lives, the direction that we choose to go, the places we choose to stop in, the conversations that we choose to have, the words that we use in a conversation, all of these things, our walk is governed by our sense of right and wrong. It's, it's governed by our ethics, by our morality, our values, our ideals. Our walk is guided by our philosophy. 
Our walk is governed by what we make of the world. And so you might look at your life and say, yeah, this is where I want to go. And I understand that this is where I am. And this is all that is in between. And you know that you need to walk from A to B. But the way in which you walk, the decisions that you make between A and B, it's all based on your values and different things. And that is why it is so important here that Paul is saying you need to consider the way that you walk. You need to consider the way that you walk. You know, our society likes to ignore the age-old question of the meaning of life. And that's this whole destination piece. Why are we here? Why am I here? What is the purpose? A lot of people like to ignore that question. You know, and last time I spoke, I highlighted for us that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And if this is our destination on the map, if this is the place we want to go, you can be certain that it's going to affect the way that we walk. It's going to affect the choices we make. It's going to affect our value system, our philosophies, our morality. And if this is our value, um, there may be places that we want to avoid on this walk. There may be places that we want to go out of our way to make sure we get to this, this thing before we go there. Paul is concerned about the way we are walking. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he instructs us that we need to walk in a way that is worthy. You know, and, and where does that begin? Well, it begins with us looking to God for help. And how do I walk this way? Lord, if I am going to live in a way that is bringing glory to God, you, it, it begins with that prayer of, of God, how do I even do that? Where does it begin? This instruction here that Paul is giving also is highlighting the temptation that we often feel to walk a different way. It highlights the temptation that we have to live a way that is apart from God. Sometimes it's just so much easier. You know, there's a temptation to go off course. There's a temptation to walk in your own ways. Paul is continuing in this passage also to teach us about the Gentiles. And he's been talking a lot about Gentiles in Ephesians, if, if you've been paying attention. And in chapter 2, he gives us a summary about the Gentiles. In chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, this is what he writes. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, and they were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. But remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So here Paul summarizes for us kind of the essence of what it was to be a Gentile. And it's this idea of they were separated, they were alienated, strangers to God, they were without hope. So we might sum this up by saying that a Gentile is those who do not know God. Those who do not know God. And it's important to note that this passage, it's not about rejecting humanity. Um, it's not about rejecting culture in the sense of saying that, um, that these people, these Gentiles, aren't worth anything. Um, it's not talking about the ability of the Gentiles. It's not a talking about their, their worth before God. Um, it's, not talking, um, it's not talking about their accomplishments or anything like that. Rather, it is a rejection of the Gentiles' way of life. And it's a rejection of their way of life. The map that they would draw, 
Paul is saying here, um, <clears throat> sorry, I just lost my, lost my spot here. The map that they would draw would be done without the consideration, consultation, or partnership with God. So those who live their lives apart from God are going to draw a map. They're going to figure out the way that they want to walk without God. They're going to, cons- they're going to think about this map, but they aren't even going to consider God. And Paul is saying that that's a problem. You know, when Paul goes on to talk about the Gentiles here in our passage, he says that they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so as we read this, we might look at this and, and see and understand that Paul is teaching us that the way of the Gentiles is characteristically futile. It's characteristically futile. Paul is saying that the way the Gentiles have chosen to walk will ultimately not profit anything. He's saying it's not going to profit anything. You know, and this isn't a new message in the New Testament. Jesus talked about this a lot as well. I think uh, specifically about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says this, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So Jesus looks and he's, Jesus is saying, yeah, the, when people choose to walk in their own way, when they ignore my teaching, when they ignore the truth of who God is, when they, when they choose that, it's like building a house on sand. It's futile. It's going to crumble. It's not going to last very long. It's not going to profit anything. And we may look to Paul and say, okay, Paul, that's kind of a mean thing to say to the Gentiles, but why are you saying that it's, why are you saying that they're futile? We may ask, why are they futile? He's saying that a futility here in the passage, it is a result of their lack of understanding. They've chosen to be ignorant. They're ignorant of Jesus being the way. They're ignorant of their purpose. Maybe they're ignorant to eternity. It's not something they want to consider. Or perhaps they're just ignorant of consequence. So we may ask, well, why are they ignorant? Well, Paul makes that clear too. He says, well, their hearts are hard. They don't want to know the truth. It's as if they know that if they did know the truth, that their lives would have to change. And they don't want to have to change their lives. It's as if they've chosen a hard heart because, you know, well, if I make my heart soft, if I receive the truth of what Jesus is saying, well, I have to change. And I don't really want to change. So they're ignorant. <clears throat> if they knew the truth, they would see that in knowing truth, that they would have no choice but to be made new. And they simply don't want to give up their lifestyle. And Paul makes it clear what that lifestyle is characteristic of. He says that it's, it's one of sensuality, which is about self-abandonment, not having any self-control. 
this idea of constant indulgence. It says that it's greedy, that the indulgence, is, that you have an intense desire for this indulgence, always wanting more and more. It's never satisfied. They practice impurity, which is to say that they're living outside of their design purpose. You could summarize this to say that the way of those who do not know Jesus is self-indulgent. It is self-indulgent. You know, and this comes right off the heels of what Norb spoke on last week in verse 15. We says that rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, which, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if the way of the Gentiles, the way of those who do not know God, if it's one that is self-indulgent in its practice, we can see how it is completely contrasted to the way of, of believers. And Paul makes that point. He goes on in verse 20. He says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul highlights here that we have learned a new way to walk. We've learned a new way to walk. That we don't have to walk in the same way as those who don't know Jesus because we've learned a new way. Paul is pointing out that believers have given up these practices that those who've put their trust in Jesus have said, I, I don't want to practice impurity anymore. I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to engage in self-indulgence anymore. Rather, I, I want to learn what Jesus has for me, and I want to walk in the ways that he has for me. They've softened their hearts. They've learned about God, and they've experienced change. They've experienced that God's truth has made them new. You know, it's, it's interesting in our society today to talk about truth. You know, people want to say, well, truth is subjective. You know, truth is whatever. You have your truth. I have my truth. But we believe as, as Christians that, that the Bible is the source of truth. It is the source of truth. Um, if you want to learn more about that, um, in the How to Read the Bible podcast series, um, the first couple episodes deal with this whole issue of, well... Why do we read the Bible? And one of the things I say in this podcast is that we read the Bible because it's true. Because if we want to be people who know the truth and walk in truth, well, we need to learn, we need to read the Bible. We need to learn the truth from the Bible. And we understand that um, in our culture, they don't want to say that it's, there's truth. You know, you have your truth, I have my truth. But if we look at that statement, we understand that it makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> If two people are claiming to both be speaking the truth, but their truths are completely, fundamentally opposed to one another, they can't both be right. They cannot both be right. And this whole issue of truth is being contended in our society like never before. People want to just say, well, it's, you know, whatever. You know, you go your way, I go my way. But friends, if we believe that the Bible is true, if we believe that the message in the Bible is true, then we understand that, no, it's not about going my way or your way. We need to walk in God's way. And that's what Paul is getting at here. And to say this does not mean that as Christians we have it all figured out. 
You know, sometimes as Christians, we can be really bold in this, you know, say, oh, well, I know the truth. I know the truth. <laughs> well, not necessarily. Because, just because the, the Bible is the source of truth does not mean that we have it all figured out. As a believer, we recognize that we are not the author of truth. We recognize that truth has a source and that we search for it in God's word and that by God's grace, he reveals that to us. He teaches that to us. So not only does truth lead to us walking a new way as we learn God's word, as we apply it to our lives and live differently than the Gentiles, but truth also leads to a change of clothes. Truth leads to a change of clothes. And this is what Paul writes in verse 22. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul switches metaphors here. Before he was talking about a way and a walk, well now he's talking about getting dressed. (laughs) The verb putting off and putting on here is, is the same verb that is used for changing of clothes. But what an appropriate picture. Because every single day, you and I engage in this practice, this verb. Where we take something off, we put something on. We get up in the morning, we, we get dressed, get ready for the day. We come home at night and we, we change out of those clothes to get ready for, for bed. So what an appropriate verb. And Paul tells us that we have been taught by Christ that we are to put off the old. So rather than self-indulgence, the truth, explo- ex- the truth of God will expose the delusion of self-pleasure, which results in a desire for us to get rid of sensuality, greed, and impurity. So that's, the, that's what's going on here. He's saying that as we learn Christ, as Jesus' message and his word gets into our hearts, Something happens in us where we we see an area in our lives, and let's say it's like self-indulgence or greed, and we look at that and we say, man, I I shouldn't be that way. I don't want to be that way. And God's Word does a, a work in our hearts, and it changes us. And so we look at that greed, and we say, I'm taking this off. I'm taking it off. And again, what a great picture. You know, the action of this is what we would call repentance. Have you ever experienced this? Where you're, you're listening to a sermon or you're reading the Bible in the morning for your morning devotions and as you're reading, something jumps out at you, something hits your heart. And you're like, man, I, yeah, like I, I'm greedy sometimes. You know, but God's word is saying that I shouldn't be that way. You know, so as you read that, you, you pray, you say, God, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being this way. I pray that you would help me by your spirit. I repent of this. The word repentance literally means to have a change of mind. To turn from a sinful action and to turn towards God. So that's the first part is we take off the old. Well, the next part is we put on the new. We renew our minds. This new life, this new way that Paul is encouraging us to walk in. It starts first by us taking off the old, but then allowing God by His Spirit, to do a work in our lives, that we walk in His way, that we desire what He desires, that our heart beats with His, 
that we come to look more like Jesus as we put on his truth, as we put on his word. This is a part of the Christian destiny. And we read about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Uh, we have that one on the screen, Lucas. <clears throat> Romans eight twenty nine says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. There's just this reality that, that God desires us to look more like Jesus, to be more like Jesus. And what we see in this text is that becoming more like Jesus, to be renewed in our minds, that first of all, it's the Spirit's work. It's the Spirit's work. The NLT translates this part of the text probably the best, where it says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. And well, how do you do that? How do I let the Spirit renew my thoughts and attitudes? Well, this comes by us spending time with God. By seeking God in prayer. By listening to what He has to say. And if listening to God is maybe a, a new concept for you, uh, we have our Hearing God seminar that, that runs throughout the year for, um, I think it's six to eight weeks. And I just encourage you to sign up for that. Learn what it means to, to hear what God has to say. By studying God's scripture, we allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. The renewal of our minds comes as we learn more, as we grow more as we seek God more, as we live our lives with a prayer that says, Lord, how would you have me think about this thing or that thing? What would you have me do in this situation or that situation? So if it's the Spirit's work, we also see in this passage that it's a continual work. It is a continual work. The verbs we have in this text uh, to, to be renewed is in a form where it may be better translated being continually renewed. Being continually renewed. You know, that this process, it's not a one-time fix-all. You know, it's not like God comes in and boom, now you're totally new, you're perfect, you're like Jesus. Rather, it's, it's a walk, it's a journey. You know, I think sometimes in, in the faith we have this temptation to, to look at our lives with Jesus as, you know, when we became a Christian, it was like we crossed a finish line. You know, we went from not knowing God, like living in sin, living apart from God, to crossing this finish line, and now we know Him. Well, I think that that illustration breaks down, because I think more appropriately we could say that when we become believers, it's like taking off on the starting line. It's like starting the race. It's, it's getting in there. You know, and as we push off from that starting line, it's, it's recognizing, God, I, I desire you to just continually work. Continually work in my heart. Continually be renewing my mind. Continually be making me more like Jesus. This recognizes that we are all a work in progress. That God is working to bring righteousness and holiness to our lives. But this is a process. As years pass, you may learn things about God or yourself that, I, that identifies remnants of the old life. Of the greed, of sensuality. And you might see those things and, and understand that this needs to be taken off. So that the new life in Christ may be realized in you in a fuller way. And I want to encourage you not to be scared of that, but to engage in it. You know, coming to faith is not simply a ticket into heaven. But it's the beginning of a new life, a new walk, and a pursuit of a new way. It's continual. 
So what's the application? What, what do we do with all of this? You know, as Paul goes on and as Ken is going to continue to take us through Ephesians, um, Paul's going to, he's going to be giving a lot more instruction about how we're to behave, how we are to live our lives in the context of our interactions with one another, in the context of our homes. And we're going to get a lot more of that as we go on. Um, but for us this morning, I want to say to us who know, who know God, who've experienced the love of God, for those of us who'd say that, yeah, I, I'm in a per- I have a personal relationship with Jesus, I would like to ask you, are you allowing the truth revealed in God's word to make a difference in your life? Are you allowing the truth in God's word to make a difference in your life? Or are you, like the Gentiles, allowing your heart to be calloused? You know, it's interesting. We need to pay attention to this too in this text that this, Paul is writing to, to new believers who were Gentiles. So he's not writing here to non-believers. He's writing to believers. And the warning to them is don't walk the way of the Gentiles. You know, each of us every day are faced with many temptations to walk the way of the Gentiles. But we need to keep our hearts from being calloused. We need to engage in God's truth and let it change us. For some of us this morning, maybe you don't know God. Maybe this is, this is new to you. Um, as I studied this text, you know, I almost get uncomfortable because you read it and it feels like it doesn't have a lot of nice things to say to those who don't know God. But it's not so much that it doesn't have nice things to say. I, I think in this text we have this amazing invitation. You know, that if you're, you feel like you're living life on your own terms, you don't know God, you're not interested in God, well, you know, thanks for coming this morning. I want to encourage you to keep asking questions. You know, maybe when I talk about Jesus being truth, it's something you might scoff at. But I really believe that the Bible reveals truth. It tells of a God who loves humanity so deeply that he did not even spare his own son to make a way for all people to come to know him and to be in relationship with him. The invitation we get in Scripture over and over again is an invitation to surrender to God's way. To surrender to God's way. You know, I, at the Hope Mission Banquet, I heard this amazing testimony of this guy who had been in and out of the program. You know, he, he decided he wanted to get off drugs, and so he'd come into the program, and it just wasn't working. He'd be there for a bit, and then he'd, he'd screw up again and get kicked out. And then a certain amount of time would pass, he'd come back. And he did this a couple times. And he made this statement that I thought was so amazing. He said, you know, I realized that surrendering to a higher power of my own understanding wasn't good enough. I needed Jesus. To surrender to a higher power of my own understanding wasn't good enough. I needed Jesus. And so in the context of, of, of their whole mission and his program, he surrendered his life to Jesus. And man, that made a whole new difference in his life. He found victory in his life that he hadn't experienced before. And many of us, maybe this morning, have not surrendered your life to Jesus. You've not said, Lord, I, I want your way to be known in my lives life. So I want to invite you to that this morning. It's a simplicity of, of just praying a prayer to Jesus and, and, and repenting to Jesus. It's taking off that old self. It's saying, Jesus, I, I know that the way that I want to walk isn't the way you have for me. I don't fully know what that way is that you have for me, but I want to learn. 
And it's repenting of the old way and inviting Jesus by his spirit to renew your mind and to lead you in walking that new way. So I'm going to invite the worship team forward and um, I'm just going to pray that prayer. And I invite you this morning, if you've never prayed it, to, to join with me in prayer. And again, for those of us who, um, who maybe for this morning, this is just an encouragement to you. That your walk with Jesus perhaps has been feeling dry. That your walk with Jesus has perhaps felt really disconnected. And you're looking at your life and saying, man, I've really been walking in my own ways. I invite you this morning to join with us in prayer, asking Jesus to lead you in his way. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for the truth in your word. God, it's a truth that doesn't leave us as we are in our sin, Lord, but it's a truth that exposes things in our heart, Lord. Lord, that causes change in our lives, that makes us new, Lord, that empowers us. And so, Lord, I pray even right now that your truth would be working on our hearts. Lord, for those of us with a calloused heart, I pray that you would just soften our hearts by your grace, Lord, that your word would do a work. And Lord, some of us this morning just need to pray this prayer where they say, Lord, I am sorry. Father, I am sorry for the many ways that I've walked in my own way. I'm sorry for the way that I've ignored your ways, the ways that I've pushed you aside, the ways that I have ignored you. Jesus, I choose to repent of those sins, Lord, to take off this old way. And Lord, I invite you now by your spirit, Lord, just to to help me to put on the truth of your word, Lord, to put on Christ. God, we pray that you would lead each of us in your way. Lord, that you would lead us in the way that you would like us to go. Lord, that you would teach us your way. Lord, that we may be made new. Lord, that we may experience a renewing of our minds. And Lord, we just recognize that it's only by the work of your Son in our lives, only by your Spirit. So we just invite you to do that work. In Jesus' name, amen.